Section 15 of Stories from the Fairy Queen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert White. Stories from the Fairy Queen by Mary MacLeod. How Saskudamore came to the House of Care. Thus Brightermart, with much toll and grief, still sought the knight whom she had seen in the magic mirror, and in all her sad misfortunes she found her fellow-wanderer, Amoret, a great comfort. But the gentle Scudamore, whose heart the malicious Arte had filled with jealous discontent, was bent on revenge, revenge against the blameless princess. The wicked tale told by Arte pricked his jealous heart like a thorn, and pierced his soul like a poisoned arrow. Nothing that Glorke could do or say would alter his feeling. The more she tried to excuse Brightermart, the worse it fretted and grieved him, night and day, so that nothing but dire revenge might abate his anger. Thus as they travelled, night, gloomy with cloud and storm and bitter showers, fell upon them before its usual hour. This forced them to seek some shelter, where they might hide their heads in quiet rest. Not far away, unfitting for any guest, they spied a little cottage, like some poor man's dwelling. It was placed under a steep hillside, where the mouldering earth had hollowed out the bank. A small brook of muddy water, bad-smelling as a puddle, passed close to it, bordered by a few crooked willows. When Sir Scudamore and Glorke came nearer, they heard the sound of many iron hammers, ceaselessly beating in turn, so that it seemed as though some blacksmith dwelt in that desert place. Entering, they found the good man himself bent busily at work. He was a wretched, worn creature, with hollow eyes and wasted cheeks, as if he had been long pent in prison. His face was black and grisly-looking, smeared with smoke, that nearly blinded his eyes. He had a ragged beard and shaggy hair, which he never cut nor kept in order. His garment was rough and all torn to rags. He had no better, nor cared for any better. His hands were blistered and burnt from the cinders, all unwashed, with long nails fit to rend the food on which he lived. This creature was called Care. He was a blacksmith by trade, who never ceased working, day or night, but made iron wedges of small use. These are unquiet thoughts that invade anxious minds. He kept six servants hard at work, always standing round the anvil, with great huge hammers who never rested from battering stroke on stroke. All six were strong men, but each was stronger than the one before so they went up, as it were, in steps. So, likewise, the hammers which they bore succeeded, like bells in due order of greatness. The last servant far exceeded the first in size. He was like some monstrous giant. So dreadfully did he beat the anvil, that it seemed as if he would soon drive it to dust. So huge was his hammer, and so great his energy, that it seemed as though he could break, 
and rend asunder a rock of diamond if he cared to try. Sir Scudamore greatly wondered at the manner of their work and weary labour, and having beheld it for a long time, at last inquired the cause and end of it. But all his questions were in vain, for they would not stop from their work for anything, nor listen to what he said. Even the gusty bellows blew fiercely, like the north wind, so that no one could hear. Sadness moved them, and the bellows were sighs. The warrior, seeing this, said no more, but lay down to rest in his armour. To rest he lay down on the floor, in olden days the best bed for adventurous nights, and thought to have refreshed his weary limbs. And the aged nurse, Glauque, his faithful squire, also laid her feeble joints down, for her age and weakness much needed rest after so long and tiring a journey. There lay Sir Scudamore, long expecting the moment when gentle sleep would close his weary eyes, turning often from side to side, and often choosing a new place where it seemed he might repose better. And often in wrath he again rose from there, and often in wrath lay down again, but wherever he disposed himself, he could by no means obtain the desired ease. Every place seemed painful, and each alteration useless. And evermore when he thought to sleep, the sound of the hammers jarred his nerves, and evermore when he began to get drowsy, the noise of the bellows disturbed his quiet rest. All night the dogs barked and howled around the house, scenting the stranger guest. And now the crowing cock, and now the owl shrieking loudly, fretted his very soul. If by fortune a little drowsiness chanced to fall on his heavy eyelids, immediately one of the villains wrapped him on the head with his iron mallet, so that he awoke at once and started up quickly as one afraid, or as if one had suddenly called him. Thus he was often roused, and then he lay musing on the unhappy cause that had led him to the house of care. At last his weary spirit, too tired to resist further, gave place to rest. Yet even now he was troubled with bad dreams. Then the wicked creature, the master smith, took a pair of red-hot iron tongs and nipped him in the side, so that his heart quite quaked at the pain. Thereupon he started up to be avenged on the person who had broken his quiet slumber. But looking round about him, he could see no one, yet the smart remained, though the giver of it fled. In such disquiet and heart-fretting pain, Sir Scudamore passed all that long night, and now the day began to peep over the earth, sprinkling the morning grass with pearly dew. Then up he rose, like a heavy lump of lead, and one could plainly read in his face, as in a looking-glass, signs of the anguish he had gone through. He mounted his war-horse and set forth again on his former journey, and with him also went Glauque, the aged squire, ready to share whatever pain and peril might be in store. How the Savage Knight Met the Knight with the Ebony Spear The day after Sir Scudamore left the house of care, as he rode sadly on his way, he unexpectedly saw an armed knight sitting in the shade on the edge of a forest, while his steed grazed beside him. 
Directly this knight saw Scudamore, he mounted and rode eagerly towards him, as if he intended mischief. But as soon as he saw the arms borne by him, he lowered his spear and turned aside. Sir Scudamore wondered at this, but the other said, Ah, gentle Scudamore, I submit myself to your grace, and ask pardon of you for having this day almost done you an injury. Whereupon Scudamore replied, Small harm is it for any warrior to prove his spear without malice on a venturous knight. But, sir, since you know my name, pray tell me what is your own. Truly you must excuse me from making known my right name now, for the time has not yet come for it, was the reply. But call me the Savage Knight, as others do. Then tell me, Sir Savage Knight, said Scudamore, do you dwell here within the forest, which would answer well with your array, or have you put it on for some special purpose, as seems more likely, as you shun known arms? The other day a stranger, Knight, brought shame and dishonour on me, replied the Savage Knight. I am waiting to revenge the disgrace whenever he shall pass this way by day or night. Shame be his reward who proposes shame, said Scudamore. But what is he by whom you were shamed? A stranger, knight, unknown by name, but known by fame and by all ebony spear, with which he bore down all who met him. He, in an open tourney, lately held, stole away from me the honour of the game, and having felled me, already weary, reft me of the fairest lady whom he has ever since withheld. When Scudamore heard mention of the spear, he knew right well it was Brightermart, who also, as he imagined, had taken Amoret from himself. Then his jealous heart swelled with rage, and he said sharply, And that is not the first unknightly act which the same knight has done to other noble warriors for he has lately stolen my lady from me, for which he shall pay dearly before long, and if to the vengeance decreed by you this hand call supply any help or succour, it shall not fail whensoever you need it. So they both agreed to wreak their wrath on Brightermart. While they thus talked together, lo, far away they saw a knight gently riding towards them. He was attired in foreign armour and strange array, and when he came near they saw plainly he was the same for whom they waited. Then said Scudamore, Sir Savage Knight, let me beg this, that since I was the first to be wronged, let me be the first to requite it, and if I happen to fail you shall recover my right. This being yielded, Sir Scudamore prepared his spear for battle, and ran fiercely against Brightermart, but she gave him so rude a welcome that she smote both man and horse to the ground, from which they were in no hurry to rise. The sight of his mischance added fresh fuel to Artigall's burning rage, and thrusting forward his steel-headed lance at a venture, he rode against Brightermart. But his evil intention recoiled on himself, for unawares he suddenly left his saddle, and in great amazement found himself on the ground. Starting up lightly, he snatched forth his deadly blade, and assailed Brightermart with such vigour that although she was mounted and he on foot, she was forced to give ground. As they darted here and there, it chanced in her wheeling round that one stroke fell on her horse and wounded him so badly that Brightermart was forced to alight. Now she could no longer use her enchanted spear. 
Casting it from her, she betook herself to her sword and shield, and fought so valiantly that even now she was almost a match for Sir Artigal. But towards the end, while his strength seemed to get greater, hers grew less. At last he raised his hand, and gathering all his force, struck such a terrible blow that it seemed as if nothing but death could be her fate. The stroke fell on her helmet, and with its force sheared off the visor, and from there glanced harmlessly downwards, and did her no more injury. With that her angel face, unseen before, shone forth radiant as the dawn, and round about it her yellow hair, loosed from its usual bands, appeared like a golden border, cunningly framed in a goldsmith's forge. Yet goldsmith's cunning never knew how to fashion such subtle wire, so clear and shining, for it glistened like the golden sand which the bright water of Pactolus throws forth on the shore around him. As Sir Artigal again lifted up his hand, thinking to work his utmost vengeance on her, his powerless arm benumbed with the secret fear shrunk back from his revengeful purpose, and his cruel sword fell from his slack fingers to the ground. As if the steel had sense and felt some compassion that his hand lacked, or as if both of them thought to do obedience to such divine beauty. And Artigal himself, gazing long thereon, at last fell humbly down upon his knee, and imagining he saw some angelic being, for he did not know what else he could be, he besought her to pardon his error, which had done her such infinite wrong. While trembling horror seized him, and made every limb quake, and his brave heart quail. Brightermart, nevertheless, full of wrath for that last stroke, kept her angry hand uplifted all the while. She stood over him with a stern look, threatening to strike unless he prevented her, and bidding him rise or he should surely die. But die or live, nothing would make Sir Artigal stand up. He prayed more earnestly that the warrior maiden would either pardon him or do with him as she chose, because of the great wrong he had done her. When Scudamore saw this, where he stood not far away, he was wondrously dismayed, and, drawing near and seeing plainly this peerless image of perfection, he too was terrified and did homage to Brightermart as to some celestial vision. But Glauque, seeing all that happened, knew well how to put right their error, glad at such a good ending and rejoicing to see Brightermart safe after her long toll. She advanced and saluted her with a hearty greeting. Then she besought her, as she was dear to her, to grant truce for a while to these warriors, which being yielded, they lifted their beavers, and showed themselves to her, such as indeed they were. How Brightermart Ended Her Quest When Brightermart, with keen observant eye, beheld the beautiful face of Artigal, tempered with sternness, strength, and majesty, her mind at once recalled it, as the same which in her father's palace she had seen long since in that enchanted mirror. Then her wrathful courage began to falter, and her haughty spirit to grow tame, so that she softly withdrew her uplifted hand. Yet she tried again to rise it, as if feigning the anger, which was now cold. But always, when she saw his face, her hand fell down, and would no longer hold the weapon against him. Then, having tried in vain to fight, she armed her tongue, 
and thought to scold him. Nevertheless her tongue would not obey her will, but when she would have spoken against him, brought forth mild speeches instead. Sir Scudamore, glad at heart because he had found all his jealous fears false, now exclaimed jestingly, Truly, Sir Artigal, I rejoice to see you bow so low, so that you have lived to become a lady's thrall, who formerly were wont to despise them. When Brightermart heard the name of Artigal, her heart leaped and trembled with sudden joy and secret fear. She flushed deeply, and thought to hide her agitation by again feigning her former angry mood. Then Glauque began wisely to put all matters right. First she told both the knights, not to marvel any more at the strange part fate had made Brightermart play. Then she bade Sir Artigal not to lament because he had been conquered by a woman, for love was the crown of knighthood. And lastly she entreated Brightermart to relent the severity of her anger, and wiping out the remembrance of all ill, to grant pardon to Artigal, if he would fulfil the penance she would impose on him. For lover's happiness is reached by the path of sorrow, she added. At this Brightermart blushed, but Sir Artigal smiled to himself and rejoiced in his heart. Yet he dared not speak too suddenly of the love he bore her, for her grave and modest face and royal bearing still kept him in awe. But Scudamore, whose heart hung all this while in suspense between hope and fear, longing to hear some glad and certain news of his lady Amoret, now addressed Brightermart, Sir, may I ask of you tidings of my love, my Amoret, since you freed her from her long and woeful captivity? Tell me where you left her, so that I may seek her, as is fitting. Indeed, Sir Knight, what has become of her, or if she has been stolen away, I cannot rightly tell you, replied Brightermart. From the time I freed her from the enchanter's captivity, I have preserved her from peril and fear, and always kept her from harm. Nor was there ever any one whom I loved more dearly, but one day, as we travelled through a desert wild, both being weary, we alighted and sat down in the shadow, where I fearlessly lay down to sleep. When I awoke, I did not find Amoret where I had left her, but thought she had wandered away or got lost. I called her loudly, I sought her near and far, but nowhere could find her, nor hear any tidings of her. When Scudamore heard this bad news, his heart was thrilled with fear, and lie stood dazed and silent. Glauque tried to comfort him, bidding him not to give way to needless dread until he was certain what had happened for she may yet be safe, though she has wandered away, she said. It is best to hope the best, though afraid of the worst. But he took no heed of her cheerful words, till Brightermart said, You have indeed great cause of sorrow, sir, but take comfort, for by the light of heaven I swear not to leave you, dead or living, till I find your lady, and be avenged on him who stole her. With that he was contented. So, Peace being established amongst them all, they took their horses and rode forward to some resting place, guided by Sir Artigal. Here a hearty welcome greeted them, with daily feasting both in bower and hall, until their wounds were well healed, and their weary limbs recovered after their late rough usage. And all the time Sir Artigal and Brightermart grew more and more in love with each other, though Brightermart 
did all she could to hide her feelings, but so winningly did Artigal woo her that at last she was obliged to listen to him and to relent. She consented to be his wife, and the marriage took place, but their happiness was not yet complete. Sir Artigal was all this while bound upon a hard adventure, which had still to be fulfilled, and when a fitting time came he had to depart on his quest. Poor Breitermart would scarcely let him go, though he faithfully promised to return directly he had achieved his task, which would probably take him no longer than three months. With that she had to be appeased for the present, however unhappy she really felt, and early the next morning Sir Artigal started. Breitermart went with him for a while on his journey. She could not bear to part from him, but all the way kept trying to find excuses for delay. Many a time she took leave, and then again invented something to say. So unwilling was she to lose his company, but at last she could find no further excuse. So with a sad heart she left him and returned to Scudamore, whom she had promised to aid in his search for Amoret. Sir Scudamore and Breitermart went back to the desert forest, where the latter had lately lost Amoret. They sought her there and inquired everywhere for tidings, yet found none. But by what hapless fate or terrible misfortune the Lady Amoret had been conveyed away is too long to tell here. In another story may be read the adventures that befell her after she parted from Breitermart. End of section 15